welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Privileged tonight to continue this second part of the series with a message that I've entitled Sweet Resolution. Sweet Resolution, as in conflict resolution. And, um, you know, it's my experience and my uh, sadness, I guess, that many, many people that I have things to do with are battle-weary. They're battle-weary because of the ongoing conflict in their lives. Maybe they're married, maybe they're not married. Maybe they're it's conflict between husband and wife. Maybe it's conflict between child and parent. Or maybe it's conflict between employee and employer. But many, many people are embattled and struggling in life and looking for a way out. Because these days, it's often easier to take the way out. Or many people seem to want to take the way out option first rather than the way through. And so we see children leaving home perhaps before it's time to really leave home. We see many marriages, as Tone mentioned this morning, Far too many marriages in our nation falling apart and not surviving. We see people um, going from one job to the next job to the next job because they can't get along with their employer or they can't get along with their workmates or whatever. And there is just so many, um, so much conflict out there. And I want to have a bit of a look at this tonight and some of the things that we can do in order to break that cycle of just being victims and conflict and looking for a way out and ending relationships here and ending relationships there and having to try this thing and try that thing to get away from this person or that person. And so to start with, what I'd like to do is turn to um, a scripture in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament in a book called uh, 2 Samuel, and it's chapter 10, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 7. It's an interesting story. Uh, it, It... revolves around a man, a king called David, who many of you would have heard of, but he was a very famous king in the Old Testament, wrote much of the book of Psalms. And uh, picking up from verse 1, it says, In the course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. The Bible doesn't specifically talk about this, but we can assume perhaps that David in the time when he was conflicted with Saul and was being pushed from pillar to post and hiding in caves and hiding amongst different people, he spent some time hiding with the Philistines and it seems like he also spent some time hiding with the Ammonites and and was befriended and looked after by this, this king called Nahash who's just passed away. So when David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite nobles said to Hanan their lord, do you think David is honouring your father by sending men to, to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David, uh, David sent them to you to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's men, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut off their garments in the middle at the buttocks and sent them away. Imagine that happening today. <laughs> Julia Gillard sends Kevin Rudd to have a chat with Obama. And Obama doesn't quite trust him, so he gives him a funky haircut, rips his trousers off, sends him home. <laughs> hmm. Don't think too much about that one, please. 
When David was told about this, he sent messengers to meet the men who were greatly humiliated. Surprise, surprise. The king said, stay at Jericho until your beards have grown and maybe your clothes. Might take a little bit longer for that to happen. Uh, Then come back. When the Ammonites realized that they had become a stench in David's nostrils, they hired 20,000 Aramean foot soldiers from Beth Rehob and Zobah, as well as the king of Makkah with 1,000 men, and also 12,000 men from Tob. On hearing this, David sent Joab out with the entire army of fighting men. And if you read on, you'll see that there was a clash and tens of thousands, many, many thousands of people were killed in the ensuing battle. The first comment I want to make on this particular part of Scripture is just a massive warning. Notice how easily a non-issue, something done with pure and good intentions, can become a massive issue if we're not careful and get blown out of all proportion. David's kind gesture just blew up massively in his face and resulted in a war where people lost their lives. What the heck is that about? I mean, just sending a delegation to say, look, really sorry to hear about your dad. He was a good friend of mine, blah, blah, blah. And suddenly guys are dying left, right and center. How does that happen? All too easily. I see when sally and I, particularly when we're talking with marriages, we talk to uh, couple after couple after couple after couple where things are blown out of all proportion, where well-meaning intentions have been misconstrued and communication lines have been mucked up and you've got people on the brink of divorce ready to walk out. And when you go back to what the issue was, the issue wasn't the issue. The issue is a non-issue. The issue was actually something intended to be a blessing and a source of strength and encouragement or whatever. And for some reason, something in the approach or something in the response caused things to go pear-shaped. And so I want to have a look at this today. There's three things essentially that tend to happen in relationships when, and, and cause conflict. Things like uh, miscommunication or misunderstanding, assumptions and overreactions. We see all of these things uh, in this particular passage of Scripture. And so what I want to do is just unpack it a little bit and have a look at some things that will help us, A, I guess, just avoid unnecessary conflict because most of us are in... You know, much of the conflicts that we have in our lives, we don't really need to have. I mean, some conflict is unavoidable. You know, I think it's, we can't take a totally pacifist approach to life. I think Neville Chamberlain in the Second World War, before the Second World War, they just tried to appease Hitler. And you, the truth is you can't appease everyone. Sometimes you've got to make a stand. Sometimes conflict is inevitable. But for the most part, in our relationships with our family and our friends and our workmates, it's not inevitable, it's avoidable. And so I want to help us to avoid conflict tonight, but I also want to increase our chances. If we can put into practice some of the things I'm talking about, we're going to increase our chances of resolving the conflicts that we can't avoid and that we may need to have. So the first uh, thing I want to just say is this, speak face to face. Speak face to face. In verse 2, we see that David sent a delegation. This is just really about minimizing the chances of misunderstanding. Now, I realise that you know, there were very good reasons for David sending a delegation. He was a busy guy. It was a long way. All that sort of stuff. It's totally reasonable, totally understandable to understand why David would send a delegation to give his sympathies, uh, his condolences to uh, this new king about his father. 
But the thing is, while it might be reasonable and while it might be understandable, it's also very risky when you have a middleman in your relationships. When you entrust yourself to someone else to try and communicate your heart or you entrust yourself to some uh, form of media to try and communicate your heart or your feelings or your thoughts on a matter, it's almost inevitable that misunderstanding is going to ensue. Particularly for David, you know, I mean, David wasn't surrounded, I mean, he was surrounded by loyal guys, but some of those guys were a little bit shady in their dealings. I mean, I think of Joab. You know, several times he killed people who David was actually for. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, something in the demeanour of this delegation that heads over to to be a blessing in David's thinking, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something in in their countenance, something in the way they spoke, something in the way that they addressed this, this king and his court that... Perhaps it was a little bit disrespectful. Perhaps it, was, it gave off some sort of vibe that something's not quite right here. That's speculation, but it's certainly a possibility when you look at some of the other um, things that took place in David's life and some of the things he had to backtrack about and cover up because of people like his most loyal supporter, Joab, the, the, the commander of his army. It's so tempting, really, in our lives today that, that generally are fairly busy to take shortcuts particularly relational shortcuts. You know, these days it seems that less and less communication is, is face-to-face and more and more communication is by other means. You know, sadly, um, you know, even in terms of us putting on a night where people can go out and, and just get together and have date nights, we've heard things, people say, oh, we don't do that. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't... I'm just thinking, what do you mean you don't do that? What do you mean you don't have date nights? What do you mean you don't communicate? And I know... You know how hard it is when you're intentional about having date nights and when you're intentional about having a good marriage, how hard it can be sometimes to, to sit down and have a decent conversation. Never mind if you're not intentional about those things. And my, I believe that many people's communication and face-to-face communication probably consists of things like, can you pick milk up on the way home? Can you pick Johnny up or Sarah up on the way home from school? And, but it, that's not really communication. That's not building a relationship. That's just doing life. And, you know, but that's, that's not really where it's at if you want to have a, a good relationship. Tony's going to speak more about this probably next week, so I won't go too far into that. But let's just say this, that you know, if 90% of our communication is via visual cues and tonal cues, in other words, you know, I can communicate my heart better when you can see me and when you can actually hear me, if 90% of what I really think and feel comes through other things than what I just say, we're in big trouble if we're, all we're doing is using Facebook and emails and SMSs and maybe asking someone to pass on a message for us and maybe we've got a business and we get our PA to ring the wife and just say, I'm just going to be home late tonight, sorry about our anniversary. You know, we're really setting ourselves up for trouble, aren't we? If we're relying on other people, yes, they can say the words that we want to say, but can they say it with the heart that it needs to be said? You know, it's one thing to, to um, I guess, you know, if you've got a business and you're privileged enough to have a, a PA or whatever, and you, can, you ring up and say, Look, can you please just ring my wife that I know I'll be home for five, five minutes late, or, you know, ring up my daughter or son and will be five minutes late picking her up, home from, uh, picking her up from school or whatever. That's, that's probably appropriate. That probably works. Or send an SMS, it's going to be five minutes late. But that method of communication is totally inappropriate if it's like, sorry, can't make the date that we've had planned for three months tonight. But some people still do that. They still flick off an SMS. They still get someone else to make the call and then get surprised when they get home. And it's like, you know, the Ice Age is just set in at home. (laughs) 
If you can't avoid doing stuff like that, I think we at least need to be able to be in a position where they can at least, you know, maybe you can't do it face to face, but at least a phone call. At least try and let them hear the regret in your voice rather than assume perhaps that you're just happy to have something else on rather than go home and face whatever's going on back there. Don't leave people thinking you don't care. Like I said, email, Facebook, Twitter, all these things are great, but they have their limitations. And unless you're committed to spending some time thinking about what you're really going to say and even writing pages or typing pages, you have got to expect to be misunderstood. I mean, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't really like Facebook too, it's not on there too much, but when I do, you just have a bit of a flick through and you sometimes just see some conversations that go past, you know, and you can see a person says something and then someone misinterprets it and they say something back and then gradually you can just feel the temperature of this conversation rising. And it's like full-on abuse, and the person initially might have just been a tongue-in-cheek comment, which I picked up because I'm not in a, you know, I'm, I'm neutral to the situation. But maybe the other person is a little bit bent out of shape or something that was said or, you know, happened earlier. They're not ready to receive it like that, so they take it seriously. So they fire something back. Now the other person's on the defensive, and so they fire something back, and suddenly you've got conflict. So beware of using means of communication, technology that is not personal. It's difficult, isn't it? You get a text. I mean, imagine I, you know, I get a text from someone that just says, thanks for telling my wife that we're going to the cricket after work tonight. I mean, that's a fairly harmless little thing to say. But when I read that, I'm thinking, what does he mean? Like, is, that, is that thanks for telling my wife? Because I tried to call her myself, was unable to, and at least she knows I won't be there. Or is it like, thanks for telling my wife? I told her I was working late tonight. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, to try and pick up what... what you know, what's the tone? Is it, is it sincere or is it sarcastic? You know, you send, a, you send a long text to someone and they send back two-word reply. It's like, what's that about? You know, have I done something wrong or are they just in a hurry? So just in terms of just the whole face-to-face and, and trying to communicate accurately, you know, like I said, it's many of these things like David. Totally reasonable, totally acceptable, but there's a time and a place where various means of communication are more or less effective or appropriate. So I want us to think about the appropriateness of the situation into which we're communicating. And sometimes it's not helpful just to throw in your five cents worth on Facebook without thinking about it. I mean, I I overthink things when I put anything on Facebook or when I send anyone an email or when I'm you know, encouraging someone to get to a meeting. I just overthink. I don't want people to think I'm just being rude or arrogant or, you know, demanding. I want people to try and catch something of, of my heart when I communicate stuff. And even then you still mess it up. Even then you can still be misunderstood. So how much more when you just see something and you react to it and you throw something out there and you can't pull it back in. So be aware of the appropriateness of the, the method of communication for the situation. Does it take into account where the other person's at emotionally? I mean, again, Hannon, you know, his dad's just died. Maybe on another day he wouldn't have, wouldn't have listened to the guys who were getting in his ear. But, you know, his dad, the king, has just died. Maybe he's experienced some grief. So his, 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 um, his ability to process information and make good decisions is a little bit off. He's lost, I guess, the, the person who's been his source of security. 
He's lost, you know, he, he's worried about the future and his kingdom and all that. So I don't want to stuff up what my dad's built, all that sort of stuff. So when we're communicating with people, if we go face to face, we can pick up on, you know, we can say something to someone nine times out of ten and get no negative reaction. But sometimes we just we say something and we just realize, hang on a minute, I saw that, just that, that thing just sort of go across their face. That maybe there was a little bit of offense there. And if we're face to face or if we're on the phone, maybe we can pick up on some of those things. You can't pick up on those things with SMS or Facebook and all those other things. That's why it's important that we're communicating like real people because we are real people. We're not computers. Have you taken care of your words? I've kind of covered that. So that's the first thing. Let's speak face to face. Let's eliminate miscommunication and misunderstanding as much as we possibly can. The second thing I see in this story here is, or the second thing I want to say to counteract, I guess, negative assumptions is this to assume the best. In verse 3, we see that Hanan and his officials all assumed the worst of David. I mean, David, you know, was a scary guy. I mean, he probably was a threat if he wasn't on your side, but he's Extended an olive branch, he's, he's, he's being friendly, he's being considerate and all that sort of stuff. But I can understand they'd be a little bit intimidated by him. But nonetheless, they've just assumed the worst. And the trouble is, um, it was a wrong assumption that proved very, very, very costly. And how often do you and I in our relationships, again, be it at work, be it at home, be it at school amongst their friends, be it in our marriage, how often do we presume to know the motive of our partner or our friend or our boss. And how often do we then allow that assumption that we've made, that judgment on their motives? We know what they're really thinking. They're saying this, but they're really thinking that. How often do we allow that to then affect our attitudes and our actions as they flow out? The trouble is, in this particular story, was that while Hannon's perception of David didn't match reality... It ultimately became his reality because of the way he responded. David wasn't out to attack him. David wasn't out to take the city. But ultimately, David did attack. And many men did die because of the response that was rooted not in David's initial um, heart's desire, but it came out of the insecurities of Hanan. What are the assumptions we have about people in our lives? that will affect our attitudes and ultimately our actions and ultimately possibly therefore the outcomes. You're struggling at work? What's the assumption? The boss is out to get me. The boss is trying to rip me off. Now, if you've got that attitude or that assumption about your boss and his motives, that's going to affect you in the workplace. That's going to affect the way you talk about it. That's going to affect the way you do your work. And that could actually become a self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of you know, bad attitude, bad work. The boss isn't going to want you hanging around. Young people, assumption maybe. My parents are just trying to ruin my life. What would they know? <laughs> Bosses. That employee is just trying to undermine my authority. I better deal with him. Maybe it's an assumption that my partner's not being truthful. Maybe it's an assumption that our kids aren't smart enough to think things through for themselves. All of these 
perceptions that we have about those around about us, they will all affect our attitudes and the way we respond towards them. And generally not in a positive way. If we take a negative slant on things, it's going to draw a negative attitude and response out of us. So let's think the best of people. Imagine a guy getting home from work, drives in the driveway, nearly runs over the little bike that's left out there, gets out the car, he's a little bit annoyed because the bike's laying there and he walks in the front door and he sees that the pile of washing that was on the couch before he left in the morning is still there. So he's just, by now, he's starting to fizz a little bit. What's, what's my wife been doing all day? Assuming his wife's at home and not out at work. And has a bit of a sniff in the air. Can't smell dinner. <laughs> what has that woman been doing all day? That's the question. The assumption. Oh, she is so lazy. Or maybe like Martin, she's been watching Ellen all day. She deserves a promotion. That's a job. You just imagine these things, you know, like doesn't know anything for sure at the moment other than sees a few things lying around the place. And is beginning to make all these assumptions about his wife's motives and what she's been up to. And, and starting to fizz. And that's going to affect the first thing you say when you get into the kitchen or when you run into one of the kids or whatever. And I've done this sort of scenario. Just make assumptions. But it's a little bit different if you actually put the truth of the matter. And maybe what happened is at the start of the day, the little fella's out the front on a bike, falls off, breaks the arm, ends up in hospital, whole day in hospital. Suddenly, your assumptions are proved to be foolish and ridiculous. And your anger is unfounded. And the response and the shouting or whatever else happened after that assumption is ridiculous. But there's fallout because now you're possibly dealing with the reaction of the person or the people who have been hurt and unfairly dealt with. I remember one trip down to Sally Ann's folks one day and something in the car wasn't quite going right and I'm going off my nut and, you know, <laughs> the door, electronic, uh, the central locking was just clicking on and off. It was driving me nuts. Like click, 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 click for half an hour. <laughs> And I'm just going off at the kids, just assuming they've broken the car. It wasn't their fault. Assumptions. Not helpful. Better to take the low ground. Assume the best. You can prepare for the worst and still assume the best. I think of Hezekiah, you know, when, when he, um, a king of Israel, you know, he um, had a similar situation, had a delegation of people come to him. And he probably assumed too much of the good because he just showed them everything in his kingdom and ultimately it was all taken off him because he was too open-handed what he had. But, but this wasn't that situation. They could have still been hospitable. They could have still been kind. They could have re- still received the delegation at face value. They didn't have to leave themselves open to attack. They could have been cautious in how they spoke and what they spoke about and what they revealed about their strength and all that sort of stuff. But to assume the best, that just, hey, look, we'll take this thing on face value. Yes, we'll have our guards at the door ready to come in if we need to, but assuming the best. Let's be open, husbands and wives, to the possibility that our partner does love us and wants a thing to work, 
even though your life is a living hell right now, and it's their fault. <laughs> you think I'm joking? I'm not. I know so many people that love each other dearly and are driving each other insane. And uh, the assumption is they must hate me to make my life this bad. And so you talk to the other person, do you hate them? No, I love them. I want the marriage to work. I just don't know what to do now. Be open to the possibility where your life, where your marriage or your work is in a mess that maybe it's not as bad as it seems. Be open to the possibility that the boss is not the enemy, but he actually likes his workforce and he's doing everything he can to keep you employed. Be open to the possibility that your parents have your best interests at heart. They're not out to just ruin your fun. Be open to the possibility that everyone isn't out to get you. And that will begin to determine our attitudes and the way we respond to people for the good rather than the bad. Won't cause things to escalate. You know, things will cause things to cool down. Often our problems arise because we have, there's too much heat in the situation, too much emotional energy. Ask good questions of yourself. What are my issues? Why am I so aggro about I've had I've done this as well. I get home and I'm, I just feel myself, you know, I might be talking uh, shortly to Sally Ann or I might be yelling at the kids or whatever. And then I think, oh, hang on a minute, it's, they're not that bad. They, they, haven't, they don't deserve that. But what is, what's happened is I've just had a bit of a, a day of it or whatever. I didn't get through what I was hoping to get through. And, and it's just other stuff I've brought into the situation. And when I recognise that, I can apologise. And again, rather than this situation escalating, suddenly it can calm down again. What might be their issues? I get home and maybe say, or, or the kids respond to me a certain way. What might be their issues? What might have happened at school today? That would Because they don't normally respond like that. Maybe they're, not, maybe they're not just being obnoxious little, maybe they're actually afraid, maybe they're worried, you know, etc. There's a whole bunch of things that I can take into consideration before I just lose it and assume the worst. How can I best respond in order to get the best response from other people? If we can think about those things, our attitudes... And therefore, our actions, our responses are going to be so much sweeter. That's the second thing. The third thing is our response. Let's not overreact. Let's not overreact. I mean, the thought of these poor guys rocking up to give their condolences and then heading back with, like I said, a funky haircut and their butts hanging out, that's an overreaction to me. I mean, they could have been addressed. They could have, you know, their concerns could have been expressed and they could have been sent on their way quickly. But it didn't need to be humiliated like that. He could have been proactive and positive and a whole bunch of stuff without going and still safeguarded his interests, without going to that length, without, you know, throwing something out there that was likely to provoke such a, a response from David. So beware of who you allow to egg you on. Because again, I don't know what, Hannah listened to those around about him. And sometimes there are people around you that are saying, yeah, she deserves that, or yeah, he deserves that, or they're just, whatever it might be. And just beware, because sometimes the people that seem to be on your side don't actually have your best interests at heart. 
they actually have their own agenda. I mean, these guys that were the Hannon's advisors, they were probably his dad's advisors, and they probably had their own thoughts about how the kingdom should be run. They had their own thoughts about how the king should have treated David way back when. Should have killed him then, then we wouldn't have this big problem. And so just be aware of that. Take time out. Get some perspective. Don't just react, respond. Take some time to reflect. If I do this, what will be the outcome? If I do A, what will come next? Consider the consequences, the likely consequences of the things you feel like doing. I think David must have done that. You know, when I see David's response, you know, David gets these guys come back and he says, look guys, just stay in Jericho, let your beards grow back. Um, you know, wait till things die down. And, and he, there's no talk of war at that point. He obviously was angry. He was obviously ticked off. He was disappointed, a whole bunch of stuff. But there's no talk of war from David's side at that particular point. But we see that Hanan freaks. After it's done what he did, he's obviously starting, oh no, that's David. That's David who killed Goliath. That's David who's been just routing the Philistines. Every, that's David. What am I going to do? He's obviously going to retaliate. I know what I'll do. I'll get 20,000 guys from here. I'll get 10,000 guys from here. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll defend my interests. The trouble is, whereas David before had possibly been ready to let things slide, suddenly he's got this army on his borders. So he's forced into a position of retaliation. And again, how often in our lives, because of something that we may have done, yes, we may have done the wrong thing, we may have been trying to do the right thing, but there's been a, an assumption of our motives, there's been a, a, a response that's ungodly and uncalled for, and then we're embroiled in this thing. And it becomes tit for tat, and it goes from a situation that is neutral or even intended to be positive and a blessing, and suddenly got people at their throats. At each other's throats. And we respond out of all proportion to anything that actually happened. You're going to pay for this. I'm never going to forgive you for that. I'm not going to sleep with you anymore. Your belongings are on the front lawn. We're never going to speak to that person again. We're leaving that church. You'll never be welcome in our house again. I'm going to tell everybody what you've done so they know how bad you are. Facebook. <laughs> For the younger ones, you broke my favourite whatever, so I'm going to smash yours. <laughs> Just responses that come. That's how we feel. We feel like saying those things. We feel like doing those things. But if we just go with what we're feeling and we don't get any time out, if we don't allow ourselves to cool down and get some perspective, we're going to perpetuate and escalate conflict. Whereas we can take some time out, cool down, think, okay, what really happened? What's really an appropriate response? I think that we can minimise conflict. I think... That even these things, even though I haven't talked about you know, the process of reaching uh, uh, resolutions particularly, I think this, just these few principles, 
accompany what Tone says when he talks about um, sweet talk and, and the other things that are going to unfold over the next couple of months. I think these things can help us to minimise the conflict in our life. I think these things can help us to have sweet relationships. I think, think these things can then help us as a church to more adequately and sufficiently represent Jesus Christ, the sweetest person of all. The issue, in conclusion, is usually not the issue. It's usually not the issue. It's usually what happens after the issue. Because the issue can be good, bad, or neutral. It's just, something, it's just a catalyst for something to happen. It demands a response of sorts. And it's usually what happens from that moment on that is the issue, the big issue, the problem. Tragically, when you look at Hanan, this king, his worst fears, his suspicions of David became his reality, not because David wanted to be that way, but because of the ridiculous nature of his response. It started in suspicion, it ended in overreaction, and he brought down on his own head destruction. And I think we've probably all been guilty of that ourselves. If we can take time out, step back, say what's really happening before I do anything. If we can assume the best of people rather than think they're out to get us. And if we can just think about what we say, how we say it, when we say it, who we allow to say certain things, I think that we don't have to live with some of the unnecessary collateral damage in our lives. Most marriages that are struggling are this far away from being awesome. Most bosses who you think are the worst and you've got to quit and find out, you know, you'll be surprised if you adjust your attitude, if you make a few small adjustments, your workplace can be awesome. Some of the relationships that you're struggling with at school or uni or amongst parents, just a few little adjustments can have massive benefits. Just, you think about this, the negativity of this, of this response or, or the result was out of all proportion to what actually happened initially, but that can happen both ways. A good response, good assumptions, good actions can bring massively good results as well. Father, I just want to thank you for the privilege of sharing this tonight. I thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. I thank you, Lord God, that, um, that you're with us. What I've talked about tonight, Lord, is good principles, but we need your help. And I ask for every person in this room to be led by you, Holy Spirit, that you would bring to people's remembrance the things I've shared tonight. Maybe they're about to fly off the handle. Maybe they're about to assume the worst. Maybe they're about to flick off a text message or jump on Facebook. And I just pray that you would bring these words to people's remembrance, that you would be a restraining influence in our life. You would help us to say no to ungodly responses and to honour you through the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. God bless.